The following message is brought to you by New Song Church and Pastor Joshua Blunt in Oklahoma City, Oklahoma. For more information on New Song, visit us online at newsongpeople.com. plan you might be playing. Wasn't that an awesome story? I love that. It's especially near and dear to my heart because that little girl is my little girl. Isn't she so cute? I've watched that video like 15 times this weekend. Uh, But I love that because I remember going with Bo to the Target dollar spot and picking out the little things for the goodie bags and her being so excited to hand them out to all of her classmates and then her being so thrilled when she was at church and one of her friends comes walking in to her class. It was very exciting and rewarding for her. And now that we have the Jeffreys that are such a vital part of our new song family because of an invitation, I want to encourage you parents today as you pick up your kids in Boomtown, pick up a stack of these. They're little invitation cards that they can do the same thing with. Make a goodie bag, put the invitation in there drop them off in their classrooms, let them hand them to their friends. You could do this in your neighborhood to the kids in your neighborhood. Uh, We've seen more than one person come to New Song on our big services uh, when we do this. We, uh, last Easter, invited the class again, and she had a little boy that's being raised Hindu, and he came because he wanted a chance to win a Nintendo Switch. So he came And his mom came and his mom sat and heard the gospel message and then he sat in Boomtown and heard the gospel message and he responded to the altar call and asked Jesus to be his Lord and Savior. And then they came back when we had our birthday party because we were doing another big giveaway. That's why we do those giveaways to get people here. And uh, he raised his hand again. So even though he's being raised in a Hindu home, there's some seeds that are getting planted in his little heart. When he hears about the love of Jesus, it's causing him to respond. So you never know the, the part that you might be playing in God's plan when you pick up an invitation. Invitations equal encounter. So we've got these for your kids, and then we've got bundles of invitations for you to hand out. So make sure that you do that. And good morning, by the way. Uh, It's so good to see you guys here. Uh, We're continuing our Influencer Series. Last week, Pastor Josh kicked it off with a great message, and it was all about how our lives are designed to be influential and how God has given us a platform, and we have a sphere of influence made up of the people that we brush shoulders with. It's made up of the places that we go and the passions that God has given us, and we are to steward well that sphere of influence. So we're kind of continuing in that same vein this morning, and I want to encourage you, if you missed that message, go back and check it out. You can do that on our app. You can do that on our YouTube channel. By the way, if you're watching live on YouTube this morning, good morning, and we're so glad that you're with us, Uh, but make sure you go back and check it out. Now, this morning, I want to invite you to turn with me to Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5, we're going to camp out here for the rest of the morning, and we're going to look at a portion of a sermon that Jesus taught, and it was a very influential sermon, which seems fitting since we're in a series all about influence. So this is a sermon called the Sermon on the Mount, and it starts in Matthew chapter 5, but it actually spans several chapters in your Bible, and theologians believe that Jesus taught this over several days. People kept coming back kind of like a conference. So we're going to start at verse 1. 
I want to kind of set the tone. I want you to see how this sermon began. Matthew 5 verse 1 says, When Jesus saw the crowds, he went up to the mountain, and when he was seated, his disciples came to him. Now, I want you to notice three things. One, Jesus saw the crowds, which tells us that Jesus was an influencer. You know, we look at social media and influencers on social media, and the more followers that you have, the more influential that you are. But what I love about Jesus is that he had actual real-life people in flesh in blood following him around not just following like his highlight reel but following him around like where is this guy going I want to go where he's going that's how influential Jesus was and then the second thing it says he went up on the mountain Now, he wasn't going to get away, like sometimes Jesus would retreat and get away to spend time with his father, but he was going to the mountain because he had something important that he was about to share. And then it says his disciples came to him. Now, some people might start this sermon on the mount, and they see that his disciples came to him, and they may think that this message was just for the disciples. But this isn't talking about the 12. This is actually talking about the crowd of followers. If you're a Christ follower, you are a disciple. Jesus didn't have two set of doctrines. He didn't have a set of doctrine for the few, just his 12 disciples, and then a set of doctrine for the masses. Everything that he taught applied to all of his disciples. So are you a disciple? of Jesus Christ this morning, then this sermon applies directly to us, all right? So let's keep reading. Verse 2 says, then he opened his mouth and taught them. I think that's such a funny verse. Like, what's your life verse? My life verse is Matthew 5, 2. Then he opened his mouth and taught them. That's the verse. Why is this verse included? Especially the detail about him opening his mouth. I mean, that's kind of like a given. If you're going to teach, you've got to open your mouth. But what it wanted us to see here, this word, if you dig deeper into that expression, he opened his mouth, it means that Jesus was not just casually talking. It means that he was energetically, boldly, loudly exerting a bunch of energy to teach this message. He was projecting his thoughts with earnestness. It wants you to know that that Jesus, what he was about to say was so important to him. So I kind of want you to imagine being there this morning. Jesus, the son of God, he's seated up on this mountainside and he is about to to just preach. I mean, he is about to preach fire. He is about to preach passionately and boldly. He's about to deliver what some call the declaration of the kingdom. We have our declaration of independence that the American revolutionaries penned. And then like Karl Marx as the communist manifesto, uh, kind of laying out what that looks like. Jesus right here He is about to deliver the declaration of the kingdom. What that means is that any disciples right there that day and all of the potential disciples, anybody who regards Jesus as the king of their hearts, what does that look like in our daily living? How does this translate, this decision, how does this translate into our daily life? Well, that is what the Sermon on the Mount is all about. It was a landmark sermon. The early church, they would make reference to this sermon all of the time. It really made an impact on their lives. And my prayer is that today, as we listen to a portion of this sermon, as we dig into a couple of scriptures here, that this would be a landmark message in your life, that it would be, make a significant impact on you, that you would make New Song Church, that you would make constant reference to this message this morning. I pray that, 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 that this would be our heart. 
And this would be our heartbeat. Okay, so Matthew 13 through 16, we're going to skip past the Beatitudes, which is what he started the sermon with, and we're going to pick up in verse 13 through 16. And remember, he opened his mouth. He wasn't just casually talking. He says, you are the salt of the earth. Picture yourself there, hearing these words for the first time. You are the salt of the earth. But what good is salt if it's lost its flavor? Can you make it salty again? It will be thrown out and trampled underfoot as worthless. You are the light of the world, like a city on a hilltop that cannot be hidden. No one lights a lamp and then puts it under a basket. Instead, a lamp is placed on a stand where it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your good deeds shine out for all to see so that every Everyone will praise your heavenly father. Okay, I want to go back and look at two sentences. And I want you to say these with me this morning. All right, here we go. Say it with me. You are the salt of the earth. All right, let's say it again because I was pretty pathetic. Okay, ready? Here we go. You are the salt of the earth. Good job. All right, now let's, re- let's, let's go to the next one. You are the light of the world. Okay, if you are a Christ follower, these sentences apply directly to you. He did not say, Mark, you're the salt of the earth. He didn't say, Peter, you are the light of the world. He said, you. He said, you. You means you here. You means me here. He's talking to us. Now, I couldn't love these two sentences anymore. I love these sentences, and here's why. It's because they unlock purpose. It's because they give us a piece of our destiny. Mark Twain once said, the two most important days in your life are the day that you're born and the day that you find out why. So here Jesus is giving this declaration of the kingdom, projecting with all earnestness and passion, and he gives us a piece of the why puzzle. We all crave purpose. We all want to know why we're here, and the proof is in the pudding. Pastor Rick Warren, in 2002, he wrote a little book called The Purpose Driven Life. And the last time I checked, that book had sold 32 million copies, and it's been translated into 85 different languages. Now, I could not, if my life depended on it, name 85 different languages. But what this tells us is that people of all ages and origins and backgrounds and gender, they want to know the answer to the question that's on that cover of that book, which is, what on earth am I here for? We want to know the answer to that question, and Jesus knew that. So he maps it out for us right here. You are the salt of the earth, and you are the light of the world. Now, a couple years ago, it was two years ago, I was praying for my kids as they were getting ready to go back to school. And every year around the school year, that's kind of like when our year starts for the church, for the kids. I feel like that's kind of a new year for us all over again. So I was praying and asking the Lord, what do you want me to focus the kids on as they get ready to go back to school? Usually you have a verse or a word declaration or something like that that we'll start the school year with and then we kind of build on that all year long. Well, when I asked the question, I heard so clearly in my spirit, teach them that they are salt and teach them that they are light. He said, fill them with purpose as you send them to school each day. I thought, okay, yeah, I can get on board with this. This makes a lot of sense because I don't know about your kids, but my kids do not jump out of the bed excited in the morning because of preambles and participles and pie 
I and pronouns. That doesn't excite my kids. In the same way that cold calls and unnecessary meetings, God, don't you hate unnecessary meetings? Cold calls, (laughs) unnecessary meetings, spreadsheets, that stuff doesn't excite us. It doesn't get us out of the bed in the morning. But if we know that there's more, if we know that there's a greater purpose, that if we know, if my kids know that they're walking through the doors of their school and it's not just to receive an education, but there's more, it's because they're the salt of the earth and the light of the world that excites them, that changes everything. So my goal this morning is that you would leave here not only understanding what God meant when he said that you were the salt of the earth and the light of the world, but that you would so, so identify with these words that this isn't just something that you do, but this is who you are at your core. It's a part of your DNA. Salt and light. Influencers know and understand that they are salt and light, and you are called to be an influencer. Amen? Amen. Amen. So we're going to Take the first half of this message and we're going to talk about salt and then we're going to move on and we're going to talk about light. So this morning I have three attributes for you of salt that speak to why Jesus would say that we are this little mineral, salt. What did he mean by that? And as we go through this, I want you to do some self-examination. We really should do this with every message. How am I doing with this? Be asking yourself, how am I doing with this? And it's not so that you can sulk in shortcomings. That's not what this is about. This is so that you can respond to that conviction and you can say, okay, I can do better. Holy Spirit, you can help me do better. So I'm going to ask you to be my helper. So I want you to do that as we go through that. The first attribute is salt is precious. Salt is precious. When Jesus said that you were the salt of the earth, he was adding great value to your life. Have you ever heard the expression before, worth one salt? That guy is worth his salt. You know what that means? It means he's worth his salary. The Latin word for salary is salarium. The Latin word for salt is sal. So sal, salarium, salt, they all kind of tie in together. So how do we get that expression, worth one salt? Well, the Roman soldiers used to be allotted a portion of income, their salary, and they would use that to purchase a very necessary commodity that was required for their basic survival And that precious commodity was salt. Now, it's hard for us to understand because we live in a day and age and we're told to cut back on salt, right? Watch your sodium intake. But that's because we eat processed foods all day long. Our salt comes from Dunkin' Donuts. It comes from Oscar Mayer turkey meat. And it comes from soy sauce. But those things didn't exist back then. So you've got these Roman soldiers who are working and they're sweating and they're losing salt all day long. And they needed salt to survive. I don't know if you know this, but sodium is necessary for basic human survival. We need it. Our bodies can't function without sodium. So Roman soldiers would be allotted a little money, a salary to purchase salt. They were worth their salt. So salt is precious. It's as precious uh, to you as your, it's as precious to the soldiers as your salary is to you. That's how precious salt was. So I want to look just a couple things, and I want you to show you how valuable salt is. I want you to see just in your body alone why sodium is so precious. Number one, it's, trans, it's used to transmit nerve impulses. Without sodium, you can't transmit nerve impulses. Well, what the heck does that mean, okay? Nerve impulses are uh, when your brain sends a message to your body causing you to react. 
So let's say that you're driving down the road and you're minding your own business and somebody on this side of the road is texting and driving and they're looking down and they start to drift over the center line and they're coming towards you. Well, you have nerve impulses that send a message from your brain to your body causing you to swerve out of the way, okay? As the salt of the earth, you are called to know how to respond in every any given situation. The spirit of God inside of you sends messages to your brain and your body teaching you, helping you know how to respond. In your your place of work, you, you get you're surrounded in an office with different ladies. One of those ladies comes in and she lets you know she's been diagnosed with breast cancer and she's scared. Well, you've got the Holy Spirit inside of you that sends a message from, to your brain, to your body, letting you know how to respond. Are you going to pray for her? Do you need to just sit and hold her hand? Do you just need to hug her and let her cry? Do you need to cancel your plans and sit and listen? You're going to lay your hands on her and curse that cancer in Jesus' name? As a salt of the earth, you're called to know how to respond in any given situation. Maybe you're a student here. And one of your friends just found out that their parents are getting a divorce. And they're really struggling with that. It's hard news for them to swallow. You're called to know how to respond in that situation when you hear that news. God wants to use you to bring them hope, to shed light on some things. You're called to know how to respond. Look through the Gospels. It is fascinating how Jesus knew how to respond in any situation. He's on a boat, wind and waves, and there's lightning, and the disciples are freaking out. But Jesus stays calm. He knows exactly how to respond. He knows the authority that he walks in. So he just looks at the storm and says, peace be still. He knew how to respond when he walked into a room where a little girl had just died. And the family and the friends, they're mourning. He knows exactly how to respond. He comes into contact with a man who's filled with legions of demons. Guards, shackles, chains cannot keep this man down. Jesus knows exactly how to respond. He sees the pigs. He sends the demons and the pigs. I mean, he knew how to respond in any situation. As the salt of the earth, you are called to know how to respond. You're called to steer people towards Jesus' love, toward his hope, toward healing, toward freedom. Salt is precious. Another thing salt does in the human body is it causes muscles like our heart and like our blood vessels to contract and relax. And we all know that when muscles contract and relax, that causes them to get stronger. Okay, as a salt of the earth, you are called to contract and relax a very big spiritual muscle, and that is your faith muscle. Faith is the currency of heaven, and faith is the thing that moves mountains. And faith in God is the thing that makes impossible things possible. You need to contract and relax your faith muscle. Well, what's the best way to do that? As a salt of the earth, I think the best way that you can contract and relax that muscle is through prayer. Salty people are people of prayer. That you would not just rub shoulders with the people in your sphere of influence and hope that an opportunity presents itself, but that you would hit your knees and pray for the people in your sphere of influence. That's how you can be salt. Every time you close your eyes and you pray to a God that you can't see for a person that you're not seeing a lot of fruit in their life, but you continue to stand on God's word, you're contracting and relaxing that faith muscle and soon your faith will become your eyes. You'll see what you've been praying for. So salty people are people of prayer. And then lastly in our bodies, salt helps us maintain proper fluid balance. Now you know that if your fluid balance gets thrown off, 
You can become dehydrated, and dehydration can be very dangerous. It can affect your cardiac and your renal functions. And I want you to know this morning that there are people in your places of work, your schools, people that you know in your own families, that they are spiritually dehydrated. Well, what can you do about it? Well, Jesus said that we have rivers of living water flowing in us and flowing through us. I think sometimes, though, we stop at the end. We have rivers of living water flowing in us. It's not just for us. They're supposed to flow through us. What are you doing to help those people get a drink of Jesus, this refreshing living water? People's hearts are failing. They're going through things that we, you can't even imagine the things that people are going through. Your neighbors, people in your children's school, and you've got this living water that can revive them, that can bring them back to life. As the salt of the earth, we are called to be like a big orange Gatorade that we're pouring over people with electrolytes, causing them to to come back to life, causing their spirits to be revived. So salt is precious. The next thing about salt is salt is preserving. Salt is preserving. Now, I know it's hard for us to imagine a world without refrigeration, right? We go into our closet and we, or our, our kitchen, we don't have a, a, a fridge in our closet. We go into our kitchen and uh, we don't even think about opening the doors of our fingerprint resistant fridge, right? The LED illuminated crisper drawers, temperature controlled, fresh fruit. We don't even think about that. It's just there. It's always been there for as long as we've been alive. But Frigidaire didn't exist in biblical times. And one of the ways that they preserved food, the main way they preserved food was with salt. And the reason it works so well as a preservative is salt draws out the moisture of the food. And when there's a lot of moisture in food, that's where the bacteria bacteria begins to grow and it causes the food to rot. So I want you to know this this morning. As a salt of the earth, you are called to act as a preservative. You are called to make sure to prevent God's standards, his way of doing things, from passing away. You're called to prevent his standards from passing away. You're called to keep the Bible fresh. You're called to keep the Bible desirable. You're on a mission, wherever you're at, your mission is to preserve truth. I want you to know this morning that it's crucial for you to understand that living right, living a God-honoring life, living according to the word of God, that if you don't do that in your sphere of influence, that God's presence in those places is going to begin to deteriorate. That's what we see happening in the public school systems. Is people are pulling preservatives out of the public school systems. And when you pull those preservatives, the preserving agents that God has set in place, what do you think is going to happen? God's standards, his way of doing things, it's going to pass away. They're going to deteriorate. We are called to be preserving agents. The morals and the values of our country are spoiling. It's, 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 they're decaying. And sometimes I know that the smell is almost unbearable. When stuff begins to rot, you just want to get away from it. And I feel like sometimes that's how we see the world. The world is rotting, it's decaying, so we just want to get away from it. But I want you to know that you have a responsibility. And it's part of your God-given identity to act as a preservative. Have you, got, have you grown apathetic? Have you washed your hands of this and said, this world is too far gone and there is nothing that I 
can do to stop the deterioration. That's exactly how Jonah felt when God told him to go to Nineveh. And it took Jonah being tossed into a salty ocean and swallowed by a giant fish for him to realize that God could use one man to preserve an entire city. May our kids be the kids that preserve purity in the public school system. May you be the people in your offices that preserve God's plan for truth and integrity. May we be the people that preserve faith and hope in this world where those things are fading so fast. Fast salt is a preservative and you are called to act as a preserving agent. You are called to prevent God's way of doing things from passing away. All you have to do to do that is live a God honoring life seven days a week and you will preserve his way. Thirdly, salt adds flavor. Now you don't have to be Gordon Ramsay to know that salt makes everything taste better, right? It's an essential flavor in our food. Salt magnifies aromas. It can bring out flavors. It balances flavors. It can make uh, meat taste juicier. Salt pretty much makes everything taste better. Now listen to this. I love this because when Jesus said we were salt, he knew this about salt. You know, people didn't understand all this, but he knew. It says, thanks to its chemical nature, salt has the amazing ability to intensify agreeable taste and diminish disagreeable ones. In other words, salt enhances foods by turning up the volume of their salty flavors and can also dial down the taste of bitter foods by suppressing our perception of bitterness and balance other tastes like sweet and sour. It just takes a tiny amount of salt to make a big difference in a dish. And the purpose of adding salt to a dish is not to make it taste salty. Some Christians get a little too salty and, and they, leave a, they leave a bad taste in their mouth. Like you ever had fries that are too salty and you just push them away? That's not what we want here, okay? We add a tiny amount of salt into our chocolate chip cookie dough, not so that the cookies taste salty, but so that it enhances our body's ability to taste the sweetness of the other ingredients in the cookies. Listen, as a salt of the earth, you are called to intensify the God flavors in this world while dialing down the disagreeable ones, the ones that are disagreeable to his word. Many believers are living a LaCroix brand of Christianity. You guys know the soda, right? Uh, we, we keep, a, we keep a, a fridge at the office stocked with it, and people either love it or they hate it. I'm kind of somewhere in the middle. I'll get a can every once in a while, but I've never finished a, fan, a, a can of LaCroix. If you've ever had it, you know that flavor is not its strongest quality. Okay, look at these memes that they kind of say what they should be called. Hint of, hint of lime. Shy watermelon. This is my favorite. Transported in a truck near bananas. And previous tenant squeezed a lemon. Now this is funny because it's true. If you blindfolded me today and you popped open a candle of Croix and said, if you can guess the flavor, I'll give you a million dollars, I probably wouldn't get it right. The flavors of LaCroix are not intensified. And here's why, there's no salt in LaCroix. You can't taste that flavor. I don't know about you, but I don't wanna live a LaCroix brand of Christianity. I don't wanna be hint of hint of hope. I wanna be hopeful. I don't wanna be shy gospel. I wanna be bold 
like Peter after he was filled with the Holy Spirit. I don't want to be transported in a truck near the Holy Spirit. I want to be transporting people to new levels of freedom because the Holy Spirit is upon me. This is what we've got to do as Christians. We've got, we don't want to live a LaCroix brand of Christianity where people are, they're having a hard time picking up on the God flavors in our lives. That we should be, as the salt of the earth, we're supposed to be intensifying those flavors. And the way that we do that is we got to abide in him. When we're abiding in him, those flavors are coming up out of us naturally. So we've got to bring out the God flavors. Salt is precious, salt preserves, and salt adds flavor. Okay, let's talk about light. Jesus said, you are the light of the world. Now, how important is light to the world? Check this out. This is really cool. Genesis 1-3, these are the first recorded spoken words of God. What did he say? God said, let there be light. And light was. Now what's interesting about this is that light existed before the sun and the moon were created. So this shows us that this light that God spoke into existence, it was a supernatural substance. It wasn't just a physical substance. Now, The message says that before light came into existence, translates it like this, earth was a soup of nothingness, a bottomless emptiness, an inky blackness. This is where some people that you know are living, a soup of nothingness, a bottomless emptiness, an empty or an inky blackness. Okay, then look what God does next after he creates the light. He says, after God spoke light into existence, God saw that the light was good, pleasing, and useful. Again, God's adding, or Jesus is adding great value to you when he says you're light. When you're in him, you are good, you are pleasing, and you are useful. And then look at these three things he did for the light. I love this so much. He affirmed it and sustained it, and God separated the light, distinguishing it from the darkness. Okay, as you are the light of the world, or if you are the light of the world, God does the same three things for you. This is a picture of our life in Christ. If we want our light to shine brightly and effectively, we must let God affirm us, sustain us, and separate us. I'll show you this in the New Testament, three scriptures that speak to these ideas. 2 Corinthians 1, 21 through 22, God affirms us. Everybody say affirms. Making us a sure thing in Christ, putting his yes within us. By his spirit, he has stamped us with his eternal pledge, a sure beginning of what he is destined to complete. Okay, if you want this little light of yours to shine, if you want this little light of mine to shine, God has got to be the source of your affirmation. If you are looking to people, your spouse, your coworkers, your coach, your teacher, your parents, if you're looking to your children, if you're looking to your pastor or small group leader, if you're looking to your paycheck or your talents to be your source of affirmation, your light is going to be very dim. But if you are looking to that yes that God has already placed within you as your source of information, your light is going to shine so brightly you are going to draw people to you. Do you love me? Yes, it's right here. Am I worthy? Yes, it's right here. Am I forgiven? Yes, it's already right there within you. Do you have a purpose for me? Yes, it's right there. Am I called? Am I chosen? Am I accepted? Yes, 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 he's already put his yes within us. We've got to draw on that yes for our affirmation. And we, when we do, we light up where people cannot ignore it. Secondly, 1 Corinthians 1, 7 through 8. 
says, so that you are not lacking in any gift as you wait for the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ, who will sustain, everybody say sustain, sustain. you to the end, guiltless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God has to be your sustainer. Are you looking to your paycheck or your work ethic or your parents to sustain you? Or are you looking to the one who said, all of your needs will be met according to my riches and glory? If you're looking to him as your sustainer, your light grows brighter and brighter. Let him sustain you. Trust him with everything, withholding nothing. He wants to and will sustain you better than anything can on this earth. And then lastly, 1 Peter 2.9. But you are a chosen people, set aside to be a royal order of priests, a holy nation, God's own, so that you may proclaim the wondrous acts of the one who called you. He called you. Where did he call you out? He called you out of inky darkness into shimmering light. I think this might be the most critical aspect in being the light of the world. It's remembering that God has called you out, that he has set you aside, that he has distinguished you and separated you. But so often we mix right back in with the darkness. And I want you to know this morning that you can't be light if you are imitating darkness. He set you aside for a reason. If you're becoming like the world instead of being transformed into the image of Jesus, then the light of your life is obsolete. So what does this mean? Since God has set us aside and he's distinguished us, does that mean that maybe, perhaps, we should get serious about finding another planet that can sustain human life and we would keep all the worldly folk out of that planet. We would uh, keep all the secular music and the rated R movies and gangster rap and drugs and alcohol. We're just going to live in this little utopia set aside from the rest of the world. Is that what Jesus is saying here? No. And we know that it's not because that's not what Jesus did. Jesus said he was the light of the world and he understood that his mission as the light of the world was to get in the world and shine that light to the world. The same is true for us. He's saying, yes, I have distinguished you. You are called to live differently than the world, but you are called to remain in the world. Now, if anyone had a good reason to say, I'm going to isolate myself from everyone and set myself aside, it was Jesus. Because Jesus had to live sinless and spotless for 33 years in order for the cross to be effective. The entire salvation of humanity was hinging on this fully God yet fully man's shoulders. He couldn't sin. Or the cross would not be effective. So if it was me and God gave me this mission, I would say, okay, as long as I don't have to interact with anybody, don't give me internet access, don't give me TV, I'm just going to go live away, away from the world because I don't want to blow it. But that's not what Jesus did. He knew how to be in the world. He knew how to be a friend of sinners without compromising. And that's what we are called to do. I love how Kevin DeYoung puts it. He says, Jesus was a friend of sinners, not because he winked at sin, ignored sin, or enjoyed lighthearted revelry with those engaged in immorality. Some of you guys are using the friend of sinners thing as an excuse to engage in lighthearted revelry. That's not how this works, okay? Jesus was a friend of sinners and that he came to save sinners. And he was very pleased to welcome sinners who were three things. They were open to the gospel. Okay. 
I'll hear about this Jesus message. They were sorry for their sins. They weren't like enjoying this sinful lifestyle. They were sorry for their sins and they were on their way to putting their faith in him. He could see potential. He could see that their heart was not totally closed off. Those are the kind of sinners that Jesus would befriend. That was his criteria. That should be our criteria as well. Jesus, every meal that he sat down to was wrapped in purpose. Every conversation that he had was very intentional. He knew that he was the light of the world, which meant he had to be in the world, but not of the world. And he did this. He did it without compromise. Hebrews 4.15 lets us know that he faced all the same testings that we did, yet he did not sin. You are the light of the world. And God has to be your source of affirmation. He's got to be the one that you're looking to to sustain you. And you've got to remember that he has set you aside. He called you out of the inky darkness. So don't mix back in with it. A few years ago, uh, a couple of my friends and I, it was our small group at the time, we decided to do one of those breakout rooms. I'm sure by now, like it's kind of an old, the trend is, is, is fading out, but by now you guys have all heard of breakout rooms. We went to the one up here at Quell Springs and uh, what you do is you go into this room, they have different themed rooms like the lost, you're stranded on a desert island room. We were in a kidnapped room, so we'd all been kidnapped. They, they handcuff us, they blindfold us, they take us into this little dark room and they tell us you've got an hour to solve all of these puzzles and clues and if you get out before the hour is over, you win. If you don't, then you fail. And so they, they bring us into this dark room, a little video comes on and they say, uh, you've been kidnapped, the previous victims have left clues and puzzles all over the room to help you escape. Make sure you do it in 60 minutes because that's when the killer comes back. Time starts now. And then a clock begins. It's like Jack Bauer 24 type thing. So the, the clock starts ticking and like all the stress and, and, and we break out of our handcuffs pretty quickly, find the key, and then we start working to solve some puzzles. Well, we solved the first couple pretty quick and I was like, man, this is going to be not challenging enough. We're going to break out of this. But we were so wrong. We solved the first two and then we just were stuck. And we were, I mean, just butting our heads against the wall. We could not figure out how to get out of that room. I'd done like three or four. This was the only one, like, we did not make it out. I was pretty mad. I hate losing. I hate it so much. So we have to, to hold up a little sign that says we did not break out of this escape room. And then the host comes in and she tells you everything you did wrong. And she tells you like, here's where you missed it. This was the actual clue. This was the actual combination that you should have put in. And you're like, oh, okay, now I get it. Well, one thing that she said was, I was so shocked that when you guys broke out of your handcuffs, that somebody didn't reach over and flip on the light. Like, why didn't you guys turn on the light so you could see? And we were all like, oh, like, we thought it was just part of the game, like part of the atmosphere, and he'd be like a dark, gritty room. So a couple of days later, as I was thinking about that and thinking like, man, we should, if we would have turned on the light, I bet we would have broke out. This is me. Like if I lose a board game or anything, I'm processing, like how could I have done better? And so I thought, man, if we would have had the light, that would have made such a big difference. And as I was thinking on it, God just dropped this so heavy in my spirit. I saw people all over our city locked in different themed rooms. There was the depression room, 
There was an anxiety room. There was a sickness room. There was a fear room. There was an addiction room. And these people are sitting there in the darkness and they're trying to put in the right combinations, but the combinations they're putting in aren't working. They've got pieces of puzzles spread out all over the place, but because they can't see because the rooms are dark, they don't know how to put the puzzle together. And they all shared this same emotion on their face and it was an emotion of frustration. And the Lord said, you are the light of the world. And as the light of the world, you need to get into those rooms and let your light shine so that the lies and the schemes and the strategies of the enemy can be exposed. And these people who are just living a frustrating existence can find the truth, the truth that will set them free. You are called to get in there and let your light shine. I want to close this morning with a two-sentence or two-verse parable that Jesus told Two verses, but so powerful. He said in Luke 15, verses 8 through 10, Or suppose a woman has ten silver coins and loses one. Won't she light a lamp and sweep the entire house and search carefully until she finds it? And when she finds it, she'll call her friends and neighbors and say, Rejoice with me, because I found my lost coin. In the same way, there is joy in the presence of God's angels, even when one sinner repents. Now, what I love about the story is the fact that Jesus includes the little detail about her lighting a lamp. As soon as she noticed something's missing, she turns on the light. Light was a key element in helping this woman find what was valuable to her. You are the light of the world, and your light is a key element in helping God find what's valuable to him. He has children out there right now who are lost, and the light of your lives can help them find the path back to Jesus. He has children out there right now who have lost their joy, and your light can help lead them back into his presence where there's fullness of joy. He has children out there right now who have lost their will to live in the light of your lives can lead them back to his feet where he can speak purpose over them. There are people that you know that are his children that have lost all their friends and the light of your lives can lead them to the one who sticks closer than a brother. The light of your lives is valuable. It's a key element in helping Jesus find what's valuable to him. When I started to teach my kids about being the salt of the earth and the light of the world, I could tell it was too big. Like it wasn't hitting their spirits like I wanted it to. I I could tell they weren't grabbing a hold of the revelation. And so I was like, okay, Lord, help me, help me break this down for them. And real quickly, he showed me, okay, take out the world and take out the earth and make it smaller for them. And so I began to tell them as they would get out of the car on the way to school or when we got to school, hey, Gus, you are the salt of Miss Tate's class. You are the salt of Deer Creek Elementary. Hey, Bo, you are the light of Miss Wynn's class. Hey, 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 Gus, you're the light of the Antler Blue football team. When I begin to, to personalize and break it down for them, that's when they got a hold of it. That's when that purpose came. That's when I saw them understand that, hey, school is really more than an education. If we get an education and good grades, great. But really why I'm there is to be the salt of that classroom, to be the light of that school. So this morning, the ushers are going to come. They're going to hand you out a little uh, card that says, Jesus says, I am the salt slash light of fill in the blank. And there's five blanks there. And next week, I have magnets that look just like this for you. 
that you're going to put on your fingerprint resistant fridge door. And you're going to keep this vision in front of you. Jesus says, write the vision, make it plain so that you can run with it. I want you to keep this in front of your eyes. I want you to take that magnet next week and put whatever you put today, whatever the Holy Spirit uh, shows you today. And I want you to slap it on your fridge. And I want you to look at this before you go to school, before you go to work, before you go to your gym. And I want you to remember that you're there for more than getting gains. You are there to be the salt. You're there to be the light. I want you to fill this out. I am the salt and light of Edmund North. I am the salt and light of Kicking Bird Tennis Center. I am the salt and light of my Bar 3 class. I am the salt and light at my State Farm Insurance Office. I am the salt and light of Gold's Gym. Wherever your places are, I want the Holy Spirit to reveal those to you as we close in prayer. And then I want you to keep this in front of you. I want you to keep this declaration of kingdom living in front of your eyes so that you walk in your purpose, so that you live out the reason why you were put on this earth. If you would, bow your heads and close your eyes. What's the Holy Spirit saying to you as he reveals those places that he's put you in to be preserving agents, that he's put you in to be light, that he's put you in to hand invitations out and invite people to our Easter service next week so that people can walk into this atmosphere and experience and encounter the living, loving Jesus. What's he saying to you today? How are you going to respond to this message? Holy Spirit, I pray that you would right now show people faces of those that they need to be praying for. Show people faces of those that they need to invite, that they need to put an invitation in their hand. Show, show, show us how we can shine brighter. Show us how we can bring out the God flavors more effectively. Lord, draw us back to you. We know that none of this is possible unless we're abiding in you. So bring us back to you, close to you, close to your side, close to your heart, so that these things are organically happening in our lives. Thank you, Jesus. Thanks for listening to this week's message from New Song Church. If you have a prayer need or would like more information about New Song, you can email info at newsongpeople.com. If you would like to partner with New Song through giving, go to www.newsongpeople.com forward slash give. And if you want to stay connected to New Song, you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter by searching for New Song People.